seated. Yes, aren't you thankful that as we open our lives to him, he opens our eyes and we can see his truth in a special way. Thank you for being here this morning. We greet you. We welcome you. And those of you that are guests today, thank you especially for coming this morning to worship here at Church on the Hill. And we welcome those Facebook Live and online, KTHS Radio, we're glad you could be a part of this worship service today. Be sure to remember, sign up for the ladies' Bible study. That kicks off next Sunday night. Also, they've got to sign up for some food back there. and uh, Avail yourself, ladies, to that special time. Starts next Sunday evening. Also, next Sunday, we're looking at a baptism. If you would like to be a candidate, if you'd see me, that would be very helpful as we get that lined up. We're thankful for what God is doing in the lives of people. And he continues to work and continues to touch lives in a magnificent way. I was back in the foyer visiting with Jim there this morning, and we had some folks that's having trouble getting in. The doors are messed up. Wasn't letting people in. We want to lock you in, not lock you out. So I'll go to the door to help open, and lo and behold, there's two people standing there. It looks like Craig and Sherry. And guess who it is? It's Craig and Sherry. We welcome you home today. They uh, joined us a lot with Facebook, and uh, just so good to see you sitting in your spot. You're at the right place today, and we are certainly grateful for the relationship through many years, and thank you for your love to us and Church on the Hill, and each of you that are here today, thank you for being here, and especially, you know, I was talking, Richard and I talked quite a bit, you know, and found out he thought maybe you ought to come check the place out at Emerald Point because of all the weather, and I thought that was a wonderful idea. Yeah, he called about Monday and said, but what about coming? I said, no, I don't think you better come today. It would have been a sled down where he lives, bad. And so, uh, well, maybe I better come later in the week. I said, okay. So after he got headed up, I thought, hmm, he needs something to do. So I just leaned on him. <laughs> and said, uh, Ben, you're going to be here? How about speaking for us today? And it took him about a millisecond to say yes. Would you welcome him? We don't get to see him near as often as we used to. He spends a lot of time in Texas for some good reason. <laughs> yeah, what would that be, huh? Richard, good to have you and Karen today. Would you come? Welcome, Richard, as he comes to minister the word this morning. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, church. Sometimes we don't fully appreciate what we have until it's gone. Brenda and I, 
first came to Church on the Hill in 1995. So that's nearly 30 years ago. And we've enjoyed a great friendship with Keith and Carol. They're great friends, great pastors. And I've enjoyed a great relationship with this congregation. Due to our circumstances and where we live and where we minister, I haven't had an opportunity to really get acquainted on a one-to-one basis and share meals and all of the things that really make for friendship with many of you. But here's what I want to tell you. Every time I walk through those doors, I felt your love. I felt loved and appreciated and welcome. And uh, now that I'm mostly gone to Texas and ministering around the country with my wife, Karen, I've been thinking about how special you are. And so I wanted to start this morning by saying thank you for being the church and God bless you. Now, if I didn't really know how to value you as long as I was here, can you imagine how much more I didn't know how to value Pastors Keith and Carol while I was here? I just kind of took them for granted. But if my memory serves me correct, Pastor, in March, 44 years ago, God brought you to Berryville to serve this congregation. Now, I think at one time you showed me a smaller facility somewhere else here in the city and told me that there was only a handful of people made up the congregation in 1980. Do you have any idea how rare it is for a pastor to serve faithfully and lovingly for 44 years in a small rural community like Berryville? And do you have any idea how rare it is to see a pastor lead a congregation and a pastor and congregation accomplish what's been accomplished in Berryville in the last 44 years? I've just been thinking about it a lot since I'm not here. Pastor Keith. Pastor Carol, good job. Good job. Good job. Love you. Well, I've been privileged to serve in ministry 57 years. And for 20 plus of those years, I was an itinerant minister, which means that I travel from church to church, from conference to conference, from district council or camp meeting, seminars, retreats, whatever. And ministry took me to nearly all 50 states and more than 20 foreign countries. What that really means is that I spent an inordinate amount of time on airplanes. And if you flow or if you fly as much as I have flown, sooner or later, you're going to have some uncomfortable moments. And I'm not just talking about being cramped in the center seat. 
I'm thinking of one particularly uncomfortable moment. We were on our last approach into DFW, and just as we were about to touch down on the tarmac, the pilot suddenly accelerated, went into a steep climb. And you don't have to be in aviation to know if that happens, something went wrong. And the tension, the tension in the cabin was palatable. We're all, all us passengers were looking at each other and we're waiting for the pilot to finally come on the intercom and tell us what happened. I don't know if it was three minutes or 15 minutes, but it seemed like forever. And he finally came on the intercom and he said, uh, as we were about to touch down on the tarmac, an alarm went off in the cockpit saying that our landing gear had not deployed properly. So we thought uh, discretion would be the better part of valor, and so we accelerated. We didn't want to try to land if our landing gears were not deployed properly. And now we're going to fly by the uh, air traffic control tower, and they're going to look at us with uh, binoculars to see if our landing gear is down or not. Well, here's what I'm thinking, because I have a vivid imagination. You'd never know that, but I do. And here's what I'm thinking. If these landing gear don't go down, if they're not deployed properly, and we have to make an emergency landing, that's probably a high-risk landing. And then I'm thinking, wow, in a few minutes, I may exit this life and find myself facing Almighty God. Because this is what the Bible said. It's appointed unto men once to die. That's Hebrews. It's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. So I'm thinking, wow, if I suddenly find myself standing before Almighty God, what am I going to put my trust in? And this is what I knew. I wasn't going to put my trust in the number of sermons I preached, the number of books I'd written, the number of people that I had pastored, the number of people I had led to Jesus Christ. I, I wasn't going to put my trust in how much I prayed, how many times I read the Bible from cover to cover, how faithfully I loved my wife and daughter. No, no, I wasn't going to trust any of those things. But this old song came to mind. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. So let me pose that question to you this morning. If suddenly you were to die unexpectedly, 
May it not happen. But if suddenly you were to die unexpectedly, and in an instant you found yourself standing in the presence of Almighty God, what are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in what you've done for Jesus? Or are you going to trust in what Christ has done for you? See, when we quote that hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's what we're saying. Lord Jesus, I am not trusting in anything. Nothing that I have done, not in the life I've lived, not in my faithfulness or purity. I have no confidence in that. There's only one thing I have confidence in, and that's your finished work. And when you talk about having confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ, this is what I mean. Confidence in the sinless life he lived. Confidence in the sacrificial death he died. And confidence in his glorious resurrection. You see, I'm not trusting in what I've done for Jesus. I'm only trusting in what Jesus has done for me. And so for a few minutes this morning, I want to talk to us about what Jesus has done for us. Now, if we were going to use theological terms, and I'll probably be using them somewhat this morning, and I'll try to define them. But in theological terms, this is what Jesus has done for us. In theological terms, Jesus has justified us. In theological terms, Jesus has sanctified us and is sanctifying us. And in theological terms, Jesus will glorify us. Now, very quickly, let's look at those one at a time. I didn't know I was going to preach, so I got here without my tablet, but I got my notes on the phone. But unfortunately, it's a lot smaller than a tablet, so... I may need to wear these. I'm not going to take time to read all of the verses that I would choose for a text, but let me just list them for you in case you want to write them down and look them up and read them at your convenience. From Romans, in chapter 5, verse number 1, and then verses 18 and 19, and then Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. Then Hebrews chapter number 10, verses 11 through 18. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. So when we talk about justification... What are we talking about? Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then on down to verses 18 and 19, he describes what happens when we, were, when we are justified. And the basis for our justification, verses 18 and 19, he says, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Now, he's talking, when he says that, he's talking about Adam's sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, condemnation passed on all of us. So that David would say for all of us, behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Which is to say, we are sinners by birth. And we are sinners by disobedience. But before we ever do anything wrong, Adam's sin has passed to us. And we are sinners by birth. Then it goes on to say, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Which is to say, when we are born through the natural birth, we are born sinners by virtue of original sin. When we are born the second time, what the Bible calls the spiritual birth, Remember, John 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that except you be born again, you cannot have eternal life. And so when we're born again, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. And on the basis of the righteousness of Christ, we are justified. Let me, let me go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 21. It says that he, speaking of Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, tempted in all ways like as we are, yet he never sinned, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Let me ask you this question. How was Jesus made sin? Not by sinning. Hebrews already tells us he was tempted in all ways like as ye are, we are, yet he never sinned. So how was he made sin? Paul tells us in that 21st verse of 2 Corinthians 5, God made him to be sin. How did God do that? Well, God reached back to Adam's fall. 
And he began working through the ages, from Adam's fall up through Noah's generation, through Sodom and Gomorrah. Then through first century Jerusalem, on through the Nazi concentration camps, on through the killing fields in Cambodia, on through the genocide in Serbia, on through the mass murders and the kidnapping of children and sex all, all that's going on in our world today, everything, every sin, past, present, and future, God gathered them all up. And then, he made Jesus to be sin for us. Why? Paul says, so that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in God. So how? How are we made the righteousness in Christ in God? By praying, by reading the Bible, by witnessing, by giving sacrificially, by going and serving? No. Those things will never make you righteous. Never. Isaiah says it like this, all our righteousness, that is, all our good works, all our prayers and Bible reading and witnessing and sacrificial giving, all of that will never make us righteous. It may make us good people. It may make us faithful church members, good neighbors. But those things will never make us righteous. If Jesus was not made to be sin by sinning, we are not made righteous by how we live. It took an act of God to make Jesus sin. And it takes an act of God to make us righteous. Just as God gathered up all the sins of all time and imputed them to Jesus, so he takes the perfect righteousness of Christ. And when we put our faith in the finished work of Christ, God imputes to us the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Hebrews 10.14 says, that Jesus has made those who put faith in him, that Jesus has made us perfect forever. That is justification. We trust what he's done for us, but we do not trust in what we can do for him. Now, hear me. Hear me this. This is careful, so note this. The security of our salvation is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and that alone. The proof of our salvation is in the godly life we live. 
If we have truly been justified, then we have been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. We have been transformed. See, the grace of God not only saves us when we don't deserve it, but the grace of God empowers us to live a transformed life. And that brings us to the second dimension of our salvation. First, justification made perfect forever. And then that 14th verse of Hebrews chapter number 10 goes on to say this, those he have made perfect forever, he is now making holy. That's sanctification. But hear me, sanctification has nothing to do with the security of our salvation. The security of our salvation is based totally and completely on justification, on what he's done for us. I like to think of it like this. Justification is the finished work of Christ. It's what he's already done for us when we put faith in him. Sanctification is the continuing work of Christ. It's what he's doing for us and in us as he makes those of us who have perfect standing before God to live a holy and pure life. Even as it took Christ to justify us, it takes Christ to sanctify us. Now, that's probably where spiritual disciplines come in. The things that I said couldn't make us righteous, living in the Word, hiding it in our heart, meditating on it so we might not sin against Him, faithful in prayer so we have an intimate relationship with Him and we commune with Him as friend with friend and He communes with us. Faithfulness to the house of God, where we interact with other believers of like faith. And we strengthen one another in the Lord. Oh, and sacrificial giving so the gospel can go to the ends of the world. All of those and many more are spiritual disciplines. Now hear me. Those spiritual disciplines can never make us holy. But what those spiritual disciplines do is they bring us before the Lord so he can make us holy. The spiritual disciplines are the vehicles that bring us before the Lord. But it's the Lord who justifies us also sanctifies us. Now, again, I said this earlier. I want to say it again to emphasize it. The security of our salvation is in our justification, but the proof of our salvation is in our sanctification. If we are not being changed, and I use that term deliberately, if we are not being changed, if we are not being transformed, if we are not being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, if we are not being made holy, then we haven't truly 
put our faith in Jesus and been justified. I'm not talking about living perfectly, but I am talking about when he writes his laws on our hearts and he changes our desires. We may sin in a moment of weakness, but we hate it. We no longer love those things. We love God, and God's making us more and more like he is, making us holy, confirming us, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. I'm watching the time, so you're getting the highlights here, because we do broadcast the service, praise God. I want to go to the third aspect of our salvation that I want to talk about today, and that is glorification. He justifies us, he sanctifies us, and finally, he glorifies us. Romans 8, 30. And those he predestinated, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. 1 John 3, 2 refers to all three of those dimensions. 1 John 3, 2, I believe this is the King James Version. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That's justification. Now are we the sons of God. Then he says, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. <laughs> justification is perfection. Sanctification is progress. And so though we are sons of God by justification, we don't look very much like sons of God. We don't always act very much like sons of God, but we're in the process. And that brings us then finally to glorification. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When we talk about glorification, one thing, we're talking about the fact that our physical bodies will be glorified. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and immortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you talk about our bodies being transformed, what's it going to be like? Well, the Bible said it's going to be made like unto his glorious body. What was the glorious body of Jesus Christ like? Well, we can say this. It was obviously very human in form. 
Because after his resurrection, when Mary saw him in the garden, she thought he was a gardener. It was so human in appearance that he spent an end day, <coughs> an entire afternoon with two disciples from Emmaus, journeying from Jerusalem back to Emmaus, and he spent the entire afternoon opening the scriptures unto them, and they didn't recognize him. Oh, but later he, they recognized him in the breaking of bread. I wonder if he took the bread and he broke it and they saw the nail scars in his hand. And then her eyes rolled. And then they said to each other, wow, whoa, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the way? Oh, and he said to Thomas, go ahead, go ahead. I, I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and bone. Go ahead, put your finger in the nail scar in my hand. Put your hand in my side. I'm real. Oh, and on more than one occasion, he, he said, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him some fish, and he ate it in their presence. And then there was that time when he was cooking breakfast for him on the beach. Oh, though his resurrected body was very human in appearance, it was beyond human because he was not limited by time or space. They were huddled behind locked doors, cowering in fear. And suddenly, Jesus was there. How to get in? And then he was gone. Wow. Here, here's what I think. And under, underline think, because I'm admitting that in reality, all of this is beyond us. Okay? The best I can do, the best I can do is hint at it. Because it's beyond imagining. But this is what I think. I think that when we receive our glorified body that is like his glorious body, that we will have all of the benefits of our physical bodies and none of the limitations. Wow. All of the benefits, but none of the limitations. It's a little awkward trying to... Ah, uh, this is it. It's right here. This is a big one. This is, this is what I'm looking forward to way more beyond a glorified body. Not only will our physical bodies be glorified, but our nature and personality will be completely sanctified. We will be made holy as he is holy. Our nature and personality will be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ our Lord. Wow. Think of it. Think of finally being delivered from your carnal nature 
with its bent towards selfishness and sin and being as spiritually pure as Jesus is pure. Think of being as holy as God is holy. Hear me. When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's glorification. One more verse. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of a heavenly man. Wow. I'm going to ask you to do something hard that's not fun. Take a moment right now. And remember your life before Christ. Remember the selfish things you did. Remember that it was always all about you. Remember how you hurt the people you loved, the people you didn't want to hurt at all. Think about how you did things you could never imagine doing. Things that are so evil, so degenerate, so unspeakable that you can't even bear to remember them. And you pray. Nobody ever finds out about it. Think of the shame you felt. Think of the things you tried to do to deal with that shame. Use alcohol and drugs, self-medication, anything, so you didn't have to remember. Think about your life before Christ. Or think about some of those things you may have done since you believed. And maybe that's where you might be this morning. You hate it. You hate it. But you can't go back and undo it. No matter what you do to try to make up for it, it haunts you. Oh, but the gospel is a good news that everything you felt or everything you might be feeling, he took it all upon himself. 
Hebrew said, he bore the shame of the cross. What was the shame of the cross? Everything we just talked about. He bore it. He bore the shame of the cross so that you never have to bear your, the shame of your sins. If we confess our sins, the Bible says, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've known people who've been gloriously saved, but yet they had such a painful past that even though they were gloriously saved and even though there was no more condemnation, they still regretted what they had done. When I think about glorification, wow. Not only do we receive a new body, a new nature and personality, not only has made us holy and pure as Christ is holy, but every memory of our shameful past is forever gone. Hallelujah. Listen, what Jesus has done for us is beyond imagining. It's absolutely amazing. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite Pastor Keith to come. We invite the praise singers to come, the worship leaders. Pastor Keith and I are going to stand down here. And if you've never received the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, and you're dealing with the kind of stuff I've been talking about, the hurt, the pain, the shame, the guilt, the regret, and oh, you're so tired of that heavy burden. Take it to the Lord and leave it there. Take it to the Lord. Leave it there. Pastor Keith would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. And if there's anything else you want prayer for, we're here to pray with you about anything you want prayer for. Would you stand with us, singers? Would you come?
Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. you so grateful that we can go to the Father again and again and again and be received by the Father again and again. May we ever come into His presence and be enriched by His Spirit. Thank you, Richard, for a great word today. Let's let him know we appreciate it. Thank you so much for a great word. 
encouragement to walk in his ways. God bless you and enrich your lives this week. Ladies, be sure and sign up for both the food and the course. And then also Wednesday night, it's going to be right around the corner again. Had a good re-kickoff. And uh, you have a great week in the Lord.